Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including life groups, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Church family, you can go ahead and have a seat. To those of you joining us on live stream, glad that you are with us today. My name is Rob. I'm the lead pastor here at Sam Alliance, and I'm really glad that you are here with us today. Also, special thanks to those of you in the room. We're going to have some, even some live translation happening over here. We're excited about that. We're also working as a church to getting some technology that's going to allow us to offer live translation of sermons during the service, uh, where you just put an earbud in and you can hear things in Spanish and French and maybe Swahili. So we're excited about that as well. Uh, yeah, we're celebrating that. That is for sure. Uh, I hope uh, that you've enjoyed your weekend here in Salem. It's been a great weekend, incredible to just walk around downtown in this beautiful weather to see what's happening by the state capitol with Hoopla, Saturday Market. Hope you've enjoyed this beautiful, beautiful weather this weekend. This past week, uh, something we had our governing board meeting, and we received this report from our benevolent committee, and it was, it was pretty awesome. I want to share a little bit about just what your generosity has done with regards to our benevolence fund. It's one of the many funds that you can give to, the Great Commission Fund, the Benevolent Fund, the Ministry Fund. Thank you for giving to those. But the Benevolent Report shared that we've given over $100,000 out to 50 different families within our church community over the last year, helping with heating, medical bills, bus passes, all sorts of gas cards, all sorts of different things. And I just think that is amazing. One of the things I love about the Benevolent Fund is a lot of the people that give to Benevolent Fund at one time received from the Benevolent Fund. This is truly acts to people bringing just their, their gifts together to make sure that everyone is covered and taken care of. Our Benevolent Fund also helps fuel some of our partnership with uh, the local schools that we partner, Highland, Grant, North, and Parish. In fact, we were able to uh, just bless the teachers when they have their teacher conference days. Oftentimes, we'll go in and set up snacks, and we'll give just kind of goodie bags to the 450 teachers that teach at those schools, and also allows us to provide snacks for the kids in those schools, 15,000 snacks last year for kids that aren't able to just, their parents aren't able to bring snacks to school for them. And so we celebrate those things, the number of partnerships we have throughout our city because of the Benevolent Fund. So those of you that have given to that fund in the last year, thank you for your generosity. For those of you that are looking to start to give to all of these different funds, I just want to encourage you to do that, to bring your first fruits, your tithes, and your offerings as an act of worship to God. There's multiple ways that you can do that. There's boxes in the lobby. You can give on the app online. You can mail in a check if that's how you choose to do it. But thanks for your generosity in those areas. Also, four or five weeks ago, I've lost track on Father's Day. I had the opportunity to preach about Christ, our healer. And we looked just theologically at what it means that Jesus is a God that still heals. And though sometimes he doesn't, and we looked at even just suffering and what that means and how, why that is the case. And at the end of that service, we invited just some of the leaders in our church, elders and others to come up. And if anyone wanted prayer with and being anointed with oil, that they were welcome to come. And hundreds of people asked actually came forward on that weekend, and multiple people have been saying, like, did God do anything? Did he show up? What did that look like? And the answer to that is yes. 
He did. He showed up in some big ways. I've had numerous phone calls and people that have stopped by to just share what God did in their lives. I've had people that have approached me and say, you know what? I did not receive the healing that I was hoping for, but that experience in itself, I felt like God saw me. I felt that I experienced the Holy Spirit as the one who brings comfort, and it was a powerful time. But we also saw some miraculous healings. I heard someone tell me that they had battled with some significant neck pain for the last few years. It was absolutely gone. They walked out free a shoulder that was just totally loosened up, someone that had a knee thing, someone that had a serious back injury that was likely going to be keeping them out of work for a couple of weeks and was in PT. And after that prayer was fully healed from that, went back to physical therapy and was suddenly squatting weights that they shouldn't have been able to squat and was just cleared of everything ready to go. But I also want to share one story from, from someone uh, that, was, that was healed. And after I share this, we're going to just invite you, if you are here today and you need healing for something, we're going to be praying yet again today. Rob, I wanted to share my story of how God healed me from my allergies. I've been having allergies for about 20 years, and it affects every aspect of my life. A couple of weeks ago when you were preaching, you asked for anyone who wanted to be healed to come out and to get anointed with oil. I wanted to go right away, but something just kept me in my seat. I felt embarrassed. Satan was keeping me down. My wife said right away, let's go together so you can get prayer for those allergies. And I told her, no, I would only go if it was for me. I didn't want to do this to appease her. And she kept asking me several times, and my answer was, my answer was no every time. It was like I was nailed to my seat. When the service was over, we started walking down from the balcony, and I was battling with myself over and over. As we were walking down, my wife just kept looking at me, but I remained stubborn. I kept thinking to myself, if she would ask me one more time, just one more time, I'll say yes, and we'll go. We're on our way to pick up our son from Omni, and she turns, and she asks me again, and I just turned right away and went right in, found you, and asked for some prayer. It was a bit emotional while I was asking. These allergies have robbed me of so much over the years. They've affected every area of my life, but I was anointed and prayed for, and it was powerful. After that, day after day, my wife kept asking me how my allergies were. I would tell her that everything was great and I haven't had any symptoms, but deep down I thought that maybe it was just because allergy season maybe was suddenly over. I was quite skeptical and I did not want to believe that God healed me so immediately. To this day, I still haven't had any allergies. Even at the construction site, as the trees rained down the allergens upon me, I knew if I can make it through this, I'm good. And I was. I am grateful for my wife's persistence and, of course, for God's healing power. Thank you. And so we celebrate this today, but we also, we release faith into the room. And if you are here today, we are a church that believes in Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And so if you're here today and you have a need, maybe a physical healing need, an emotional need, maybe there's a relationship that has just been absolutely divisive and you want to see it repaired, can I just invite you to go ahead in faith and stand and take a posture? We would love to pray over you. You can go ahead and stand now. And for those of you that are seated in the pews, if you can simply extend a hand out towards those people and join us as we intercede for them. Dear Heavenly Father, see your sons and see your daughters. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come today. We declare that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, and we pray that you would make yourself known. To those today who the time is not now, I pray that you would reveal yourself as a God of comfort, that you would give them the perseverance 
the ability to continue to walk through what it is that they are dealing with? Would you see them? Would you let them know that you are with them? But for those today that you are ready to heal, I pray that you would bring healing. For relationships that have been shattered, I pray that the walls of hostility would fall in Jesus' name, that relationships would be repaired, that you would create invitations that we didn't expect, and that relationships would be restored. For those that are dealing with emotional issues, Lord, I pray that you would bring balance to bodies, that the chemicals and the hormones in the bodies would regulate in Jesus' name, that anxiety would dissipate, that fear would go to the feet of Jesus, that depression would be gone in Jesus' name. I pray that the peace that passes all understanding would fall on your sons and daughters that long for it. And for those in this room that are longing for physical healing today, would you show up? Would you heal thyroids? Would you straighten backs? Would you restore mental health capacity, Lord? Would you just heal ankles and bones, sprains and breaks? For those that are struggling with a cancer diagnosis, I pray, Lord, that the blood cells would be repaired, that tumors would shrink in Jesus' name. We declare that you are a God that heals, and we ask you to come and do it again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You can go ahead and have a seat. We are ending our series, A Summer in the Psalms, today. I hope that you have enjoyed this series. I got to confess to you, for me, this is a redemptive series. 23 years ago, I launched into full-time vocational ministry. I was a young kid starting out in ministry. I had just gotten hired as an associate pastor of this small church in Boston. I had no seminary education. I had never taken a preaching class. And I had three days of overlap with the lead pastor. He was getting ready to go on a sabbatical for eight weeks. And in that time, he sits me down. He says, here's the deal. Seven out of the next eight weeks, you are preaching. We're going to call it summer in the Psalms. It's going to be awesome. I trust you. You're going to do great. Just pick a Psalm every week, go up there for 35 minutes and try to like, just tell people something new about the Bible. He had a lot of trust in me, man. I don't know what was going on. I was clueless. In fact, three years later, when we were, hands were laid on us, we were commissioned to go to the Middle East. I remember opening up this like kind of goodbye card and it was from one of my elders, uh, uh, a Harvard guy. And I just remember reading in and he's like, hey, remember the summer in the Psalm series? That was not good. You have improved a lot. Best wishes. And so uh, here I get to stand years later with some seminary and some preaching training. And uh, more than anything, I love the fact that I get to be part of a preaching team. And so that I get to sit in a room with some other incredible theologians and communicators and run ideas by them. And we get to co-write all of these sermons together uh, is a totally different scenario. And so here we go. Summer in the Psalms. I hope this is a lot better than it was when I first did this back in Boston years ago. We've been looking at all these different types of psalms, wisdom psalms, lament psalms. Jennifer tackled Psalm 112 last week so well. If you didn't listen to it, go back and check it out. She talked about those who fear the Lord are actually fearless. And she just just talked about just the wisdom psalms and the beauty of those. Today, we're focusing on a creation psalm. It talks about God's sovereignty and his rule and his victory. 
Many times, at least in my own life, I look at Psalms individually. I'm going through my reading plan and a Psalm pops up every day, just generally one. And that's a great way to look at the Psalms. You can get a lot out of the individual Psalms. That's one way to read them. But also the Psalms can be seen as a collective story of the Israelites. You can read the Psalms as a whole and see the fall of man and the wandering and the struggles of King David and the time in exile. But the the kind of thing that we see through the whole Psalm story is the fact there's just this line. There's this hope that a liberator, a king from the lineage of David will come there and rescue his people. And I encourage you to start even looking at the Psalms as a collective story. It has a full arc. But today we're ending by looking at the final five Psalms. We're going to be looking at Psalm 148. But the last five Psalms, 146 through Psalm 150, are all Psalms that there's just this literary perspective. Each one of them begins and ends the same way. Each one of them ends and begins with the words, praise the Lord or hallelujah. The word hallelujah is a powerful word. It actually means praise to Yahweh. The Yah at the end is short for Yahweh. Praise to Yahweh. But the word has actually morphed and it has just kind of uh, changed and evolved over the years. Language often does this. I I love language. I love to see how language actually evolves. It's fascinating to me. Like, did you know that the word awful and the word awesome used to be synonyms? They used to mean the same exact thing. Because awful actually means full of awe, full of inspiration. But it doesn't mean that anymore. At this point, it's an incredibly negative word, but it used to mean the same thing. Now it means extremely bad, and they're actually antonyms. Or how about the word flirting? Flirting is a 16th century word that means to a sudden sharp movement, to give someone a sharp blow or to sneer at. That's not a good way to flirt in today's context. Like to sneer at someone or like when I flirt with my wife, if it's a sudden sharp blow, it's just not going to go really, really well. And so that word also has evolved significantly. Or how about the word nice? I I enjoy when people say that I'm nice. I don't get that as much as I think I should. But sometimes people say, you're you're a nice guy. And that word nice, its root is in Latin and it actually originally meant ignorant foolish or a stupid person, right? And so to tell someone that they were nice back in the day was like, you are clueless. Now it has a positive connotation. And and those of you in this room that are maybe, I don't know, 12 to 28, you know language is evolving quicker than ever. In fact, you're saying things like slay, and that's fire, right? And you're you're using this new lingo, that slaps, right? No, it's not like a literal slap. When you say that that, that slaps, that's a really positive thing. And so we're just, us, us people, we're just trying to keep up with the way that language is evolving. But like all of these words, the word hallelujah has evolved a lot over the years. We were even today singing hallelujah directly to God. But in its original meaning, it was actually an invitation. You would say hallelujah, come and join the praise. You would say hallelujah to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You would say hallelujah to your fellow Israelites. You would say hallelujah to all of creation. Come and join the praise. Victory is awaiting for us. Come and worship the king of all creation. Hallelujah. Come and recognize the Messiah is here. 
And it's important for us to understand this original, initial meaning of hallelujah as we look at Psalm 148. We're going to read it. I'm going to put it on the screen. I also want you to notice the way that this psalm actually structures itself with the creation story that we read about in Genesis 1. Psalm 148. Today, I'm actually going to read from the New International Version, and so we'll put that on the screen. I just, I like the way it is worded here. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all ye heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the sky. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For at his command, they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. There's two reasons that I was drawn to this psalm. The first is that it clearly points to Jesus. That's where we'll focus the bulk of our time this morning. But this psalm reminds us of the one who will come, who will liberate his people. In fact, the main idea that I take from this psalm is that the promised victory and liberation through King Jesus deserves our worship. As you will see, this is pointing towards Jesus. But the second reason that I love this psalm is because it's an incredible structured song. There's a structure in here that is so easy and clear to follow. Look, I can handle a bit of chaos and disorganization, but I like my structure. When I'm grading papers for my students at Reach Training Institute, if there is not a solid thesis, it drives me insane. And quickly, I write a little comment there. I start deducting the points really quickly, and I say, as a reader, I need a map that tells me where we are headed. You need to figure this out for next time. But even in my own house, this past week, my, my incredible wife, after working long days, decided to tackle our home office. And our home office isn't really big, but it took her two evenings to tackle that home office, to get the donation box and the, the garbage bag. And she was finding the old printer cartridges from a printer that got thrown out four years ago. And in the trash, they went and all these old documents. And she organized that whole office into this little filing cabinet. And she even labeled things. That's how amazing she is. She went minimalistic. She went Marie Kondo on this thing. And it was just, it was incredible. And I love that because organization is so helpful. But this psalm, I'll put it up on the screen. It's not the whole psalm, but look at the structure that we have here. It starts and ends with hallelujah or praise the Lord. But it starts with this praise from the heavens or praise from the sky, kind of following the creation narrative. And then in both sections, because it starts with the praise from the heavens, and then the second movement is praise the Lord from the earth. And in each of these, we simply are told, this is who should pray. And we're given fairly exact exhaustive lists 
in many ways, tie back to Genesis 1. And then we're given the why. So we're given the who should praise, and we're given the why. It's not all here. I couldn't fit it on one screen. But it's, it's kind of there. Notice we're not given the how. I wish that this psalm honestly was a couple of verses longer and it gave us more detail on the how, but we need to consult other places in scripture to be reminded that it is good that we gather together and lift our voices together, that we have people that play the instruments to honor God. We are told that in Revelation 5.8, our prayers, the prayers of the saints, filled the bowls of incense before Jesus in the throne room. We know that artisans are filled with the Holy Spirit to use their calling and their ability to create architects and artists and all things to bring worship to God, but here we're simply told who should worship and how. And it starts by talking about how the people in the heavens are called to worship. The theologian Richard J. Clifford refers to this psalm, and he says, this psalm regards worship as virtually inherent in the world's structure. For me, it's sometimes hard, and I have to remind myself that it's not just the rational creatures. It's not just us, humanity, created in the image of God and the spiritual beings like the angels that are called to worship God. No, it's all of creation, all of cosmos. That which is animate and that which is inanimate are called to worship him. And this is seen throughout the Psalms. But the first movement is the heavenly beings. Why are they called to worship? Well, because he spoke and it was. His established order doesn't change. He tells the sun to rise and the, and the sun to set and the moon to come. And he orders the stars and there's a consistency in it. And it is a powerful thing. He is above all because he created all. And this is why the heavens are to worship him. This statement, he is above all because he created all. I, I put it in there and I was like, it's too simple of a concept to, to really even just put up there. But when you simply stop and meditate on it, it is so actually complex that it makes your mind hurt. It is actually so simple yet so overwhelming that you're not sure how to do it. You've had these moments in life when you encounter something simple and yet it surprises you. Take, for instance, a good chicken sandwich. Stay, stay with me here. I'm not talking about Chick-fil-A. There's nothing wrong with a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. I know many of you are probably addicted to those. But for me, that's kind of lower on the pole of like rating the chicken sandwich. I'm talking about Dave's hot chicken. Anyone? Dave's hot chicken? Just a couple of you. Well, let me just tell you something. There is something so simple when it comes out. And you look at it and you see that soft bun and two pickles that are fresh that were never canned or put in a jar. These just, they're these fresh pickles and there's just the perfect amount of slaw and just, just enough sauce and that, that chicken. And, and there's something about it and you say, whoa, we'll see. It's simple. And then you take that bite, it's overwhelming. It makes your mind hurt how good it actually is. The sandwich slaps. It's on fire. It's like incredible. <laughs> I diverge, but back to the word of God. All of creation, he created it. It's simple. It deserves his worship, and yet it's overwhelming, and it's complex to think that he holds it all together. The tides the stars, all of it. It's overwhelming. 
It drives us to worship. But the second movement here is where I want to focus because it's us, the inhabitants of the land, the inhabitants of the sea that are also called to worship. But the question of why are we called to worship, in this psalm that is given to us, it says he raised up a horn for his people, a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. This is why we are told we are to worship, because he has raised a horn. Well, what is this talking about? Horn is a symbol of strength, of power, of victory. And often in scripture, when a horn is raised, it testifies to liberation. It testifies to the humble being exalted, to the prideful and those in powers being torn down. This metaphor is taken from a bull raising its horns after a victory. To a modern day reader, it would be like a hockey team hoisting up the stand cup in victory, or as how the women assume the USA women will be hoisting yet again the FIFA World Cup trophy, and it's this victory, this victorious moment. It is a symbol of that victorious liberator has won for us. But to understand this psalm, we, as often is the case, need to look at the arc of Scripture. And there's these hyperlinks that go back and go forward and give us a better understanding of what the psalmist is saying, why we should worship this Yahweh. I would go back first to 1 Samuel 2, and there we have this story of this mother, of this woman, Hannah, who has actually not been able to produce a child, and because of that, she has lived under shame. Because of that, people have spoken out against her, and she has been just, uh, she's, she's faced it. It's been a tough life, and she cries out to God and goes to the temple over and over, and he sees her, and he hears her prayer. And she conceives a child named Samuel. And when she takes that child to the temple to dedicate him, she is overcome with the spirit and she sings a song and she prophesies. Here is how she starts her song. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies for I delight in your deliverance. The deliverance allows her to raise the horn of victory. Her song continues on and she talks about righteous judgment and the humbling of the proud and the raising up of the poor and the needy. But it's how her song ends that stands out to me. In verse 10, it says, it is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. When you start to see this line throughout scripture, there is an anointed king who will come and liberate the people. Hannah is prophesying about that in 1 Samuel 2. And that is a hyperlink back, but if there's a hyperlink that goes to Luke 1 as well. And in Luke 1, again, we have two soon-to-be parents or recently made parents that, again, prophesy and sing. In Luke 1, the first is Mary, the soon-to-be mother of Jesus. In the, in the Magnificat, she also prophesies in a similar way. She prophesies that there will be victory through her child. He will bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the humble. 
Here in her song, the actual image of the horn is not seen, but the concept is incredibly, incredibly clear. But a few verses later, another parent, Zechariah, also is overcome and prophesies in song. And this is what he has to say. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. This, my friends, is a powerful, powerful thing. God is speaking to these prophetic parents in some amazing ways and letting them know of his redemption story and that it is playing out. Psalm 148 fits into this ark and is an invitation to praise. It has been promised. It has been prophesied. A liberating king is on the horizon. For us, the modern reader, this is a beautiful affirmation because we have seen this play out and we know how it ends. And the truth is that Jesus is the fulfillment of what these people sang about in Psalm 148 generations earlier. But here's the thing. The horn of victory that Jesus holds is not some gold-plated trophy that he lifts high. No, he stands big and bad with the keys of Hades and death. And he secures for us victory. Here in Psalm 148, the victory of the Messiah, the king is acknowledged. It is his victory over the chaos that is so deserving of our worship. For the people of Israel in the day that this psalm was sung, it was a call to worship. Hallelujah, come and join. Hallelujah, it was a psalm of assurance that the Messiah would come from the line of David. But for us, the modern reader, it is the same. It is also a hallelujah. Come and join me in worship. But it is also a psalm of assurance. The anticipated king has come. Jesus has made his home here. He died, he rose again, and he brought the victory. He is coming again, and he will set up his eternal kingdom and rule for good. He is the horn of our salvation. Today, in Psalm 148, we are reminded that we add our song to that of the entire cosmos, the sky and the land, and recognize the king has come and he has set the captives free. As I end, there are two invitation challenge type things that I want to leave you with. The first is, who do you need to say hallelujah to? Who do you need to invite to join into the praise? Who is that person that hasn't joined us for collective worship in some time that God will put on your heart to reach out to? Who is the neighbor that doesn't know that there is a liberator, a king that can set them free? When the Holy Spirit nudges you this week, I encourage you to follow that nudge in obedience. And the second thing, we're about to head back into worship. And as we sing the truths of Scripture, we're going to sing a famous hymn that actually is written based on Psalm 148. Would you remember that we join all of creation in worship? 
A few weeks ago, I was paddle boarding with some of my family out at Turner Lake, and we were out on the water, and suddenly just a light wind started to, to happen kind of on the shores, and there's all these small shore, uh, shore trees there, and the leaves began to turn up and expose a different color, and they began to dance in the wind, and these are the types of things that, honestly, I don't often notice, but something happened in that moment because this joy came over me, and I saw this form of worship that was happening on the shoreline and it moved me to worship. This psalm series has made me more aware of these moments, these moments where I am now seeing all of nature, all of the cosmos join us, created in the image of God, in worshiping him. Would you notice these moments this week? And would you stand and notice the words of the songs that we are about to sing? We join all of creation this morning. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.